Welcome all to another edition of Legal Tech Week. It's Friday, April 21st, 2023, and this is the podcast where we talk about the top news of the week in legal tech and legal innovation. I'm Bob Ambrogi. I write the blog Law Sites and also have the uh, podcast Law Next. And uh, the panelists we have here today, as you see them, are uh, the very colorful Steve Embry. Steve, say hello. Hey, Steve Embry here. I write the blog Tech Law Crossroads, and I am in sunny Las Vegas to give a presentation tomorrow, hence the Las Vegas style shirt. And hopefully I don't lose my shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, soon to be a year older Joe Patrice. Happy birthday, Joe. That's uh, yeah, that's true. Thank you. Uh, I uh, I am Joe Patrice from Above the Law and Thinking Like a Lawyer. Uh, I'm still the real Joe Patrice. You might not know because I don't have a blue check mark next to my name, but I am still Joe Patrice. Did you have a blue check mark and have it taken away? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Although, I never you had know, a blue honestly, one thing I noted um, uh last night was it it appears as though there's a bit of a ghost in the machine it doesn't look like they actually got rid of the check marks they just hid them because the app continues to forward anytime a previously verified person likes something i did so they're still in there in the code somewhere interesting all right and uh victor lee hi everyone my name is victor lee i am assistant managing editor for the apa journal uh, focusing on business of law and technology um, yeah, I, I actually haven't been on Twitter in a while now. I, 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 I ended my, I ended my account a little while ago. So kind of glad that I did. <laughs> I think, I think, I think that was one of the more forward thinking things I've done this year. So. You're not missing much. It's kind of a, kind of a ghost down there. And Nikki Black. I am Nikki Black, the, um, head of SME and external education at my case in La Pay. Um, I'm still recovering from COVID from Legal Week. I don't know when this is going to get better. Um, I write um, legal tech columns for Above Law, ABA Journal, Daily Record. I also uh, write some reports on the My Case in La Pay side of things about the legal industry and benchmark data to help lawyers make better business decisions. And uh, <clears throat> I never had a blue check mark, so I don't know who I am. I didn't know before. I didn't get one. I never got one. So who knows who I am? If that's how we're determining who we are. So you're a blue check mark in our books. <laughs> that's and, the only way we uh, can identify ourselves. I'm lost. <laughs> and last but not least, Stephanie Wilkins. Uh, well, I held off joining Twitter until September of 2022. So I might as well just not even exist as a person. Um, I'm Stephanie Wilkins, editor in chief of Legal Tech News at ALM. All right. Um, well, a uh, bunch of stories to talk about this week, but um, I thought we could kick things off, Stephanie, with your report. You wrote about uh, having attended the Stanford Codex Future Law Conference yeah. last week uh, in Stanford, uh, a conference I wish I had been at, so I really enjoyed reading your report of it, but why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, it was my turn to fly solo without you guys at a conference for once. It was Lovely. No, <laughs> um, no, the conference really was, it was great. Um, it was one day of general session. And then the second day was an invite only workshop that was purely focused on generative AI. 
So this was right up my alley and nerdy in the best way. And I loved it. Um, yeah, the first day it, it was great. It was a good, probably about 200 ish people. I'm terrible at estimating, but, um, it, it was a big mix of everywhere. And it really started out with a really strong access to justice push, you know, that started with the opening keynote and sort of carried throughout it. And of course, AI was a huge, huge factor of it. But I felt like this, I mean, it's since Stanford and Codex are so tech focused, there was very little talk of chat GPT itself, you know, because it's, it's sort of like we've moved beyond that unless the conversation was moving beyond it. And then the second day of the workshop was really fascinating because they brought in people from Cohere and Hugging Face and Langchain and Stanford Alpaca to just talk about the models themselves and the training it, people who are not in legal. So to have a conversation between the model builders and the model trainers and the app builders and legal to sort of figure out how they'll fit together. And there are a lot of takeaways, but my biggest one was that there's definitely a focus on you know, fine tuning these models for legal. So beyond just the chat GPT itself problem of a commercial tool. And there was a lot of you know, debate, which wasn't quite resolved, but a debate of what is the better approach. Do you take these large language models and fine tune them and train them down on legal? Or do you build a whole model from scratch, for example, like Bloomberg GPT did for financial? Um, and I mean, there was a lot of back and forth and, you know, discussion of which is better. Um, not everyone has the ability to train a whole model from the ground up, but it was just a really interesting exchange of ideas between people who are just building these models that weren't necessarily built for legal, but are now largely being used in legal and how we get to domain specific knowledge and improve it from there. And another thing that came up briefly was, you know, this whole idea of the pause, you know, there's the, that movement out there that is trying to make the world stop for six months training AI models larger than GPT-4, which is really interesting because I mean, I don't know how you unring that bell. Personally, I don't even think it's possible. And I think one of the big takeaways was whatever people are concerned about, six months is not enough time to <laughs> turn that boat around anyway. But um, so, yeah, it was a lot of very highly technical in a way that I really enjoyed. And I highly recommend it for people that are really want to get a little bit more in the weeds on the generative AI and legal. The pause is such a completely disingenuous fundraising play. Uh, it is, I, I'm, the people making that claim are all people who are very deep in AI and they want to say, I want everybody ahead of me to stop because it could be dangerous, but you know what won't be dangerous? If you give me more funding over and over again, like you, you can identify the people saying it. They're just so disingenuously trying to play that they're the ones about to save us. So but are, ridiculous. But they're the ones that have not really, they haven't been ahead of the curve yet. Right. That's well, they, why they exactly. want to stop. Like when yeah. you say deeply in AI, yeah. I'm picturing the people that have been at the forefront of it. They want well, to sure. stop because, yeah. Sure. But, but well, let me rephrase. They're definitely not ahead of the curve, but they're in right. the game. They're sure. Elon Musk, who who has cars that drive themselves, but, you know, can't make, a, make anything else work in his life. But and he so he wants everybody age. else to stop. But he already came out with his own AI model now. Yeah. He's like, everyone stop, but here's mine. And yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's exactly what yeah. this is. And open AI is claiming, I mean, who knows what they're doing behind the scenes, but you know, they're saying that their focus now is not GPT-5. It's fine tuning GPT-4 because at some point larger is not automatically better. So they think they can get better results out of 
reworking and you know, continuing to develop GPT-4 rather than full steam ahead to GPT-5? I mean, GPT-4 seems perfect because it uses Bob's website to train itself. So exactly. Yeah. I know. I actually love it. It it I did a search. It does not look at above the law. It did not. It no, not I looked for I above the too. law too. I was surprised. Not, not only does but but the fun thing is it doesn't do that, but it does do our sister site deal breaker, which is, you know, not it is not very well read, all things considered. And all I could think is is GPT training bots the only thing reading this website? Yeah. Well, that was just Google, though, right? Maybe the other ones are reading you. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. Apart from the pause issue, another interesting thing that came out of your article was this discussion of whether there should be regulation of some kind of, of AI. You talked about Jillian Hatfield, I think, yeah. speaking at the conference, who who I, I think is brilliant. I've read yeah. her book and had her on my podcast. and uh, But... Uh, was that something other people were talking about as well? This whole idea of, you know, maybe we should somehow be regulating or licensing uh, AI and legal? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a, I mean, it wasn't like a dedicated session or a dedicated yeah. you know, talk yeah. about it, but it did come up repeatedly. I feel like all the players in that room were all pretty much on the same page of doing this responsibly and understanding that there needs to be limitations. And, you know, like Mike Bomarito brought up the topic of rail licenses, which I wasn't aware of, um, you know, uh, responsible AI licenses that this is above my pay grade at this point of how they can be used. But so, yeah, I mean, I feel like uh, Jillian Hadfield, she addressed it most specifically of a lot of the people, but it, nobody really pushed against that idea. Nobody was for the free for all, this should be used, you know, no holds barred. I mean, that, that was sort of a sheen over all of it, I would say. And she was on that panel with the four people from the AI companies because she actually is, she's, it's publicly known, she's a senior policy advisor on contract with OpenAI. So she sort of brought the legal perspective to that panel of developers. Um, yeah. Well, I, I just saw the question in the comment about who's going to regulate it at the state bar associations because that came up hugely in the access to justice discussion that, you know, they're the ones preventing technology from being used at all to help legal. So I don't know that a lot of people want them to be the ones regulating the AI also. Yeah, although I think I, I, I don't, I can't at all speak for Hadfield, but I, I think in her book, when she talks about sort of even regulating of some other other sector, this is her, her book came out a number of years ago now, but in the book, when she talks about regulating some sectors of the legal profession, she actually talks about more of us almost like a a, a private sector sort of regulatory structure, uh, not not run by state bars or not run by lawyers, but more run by uh, uh, you know clients and businesses and, and consumers. Uh, and I, I wonder if she would extend that same kind of reasoning to uh, AI. It'd be interesting to know. Well, and one well, of I, mean, the I know I know that like some um, publications now are starting to develop their own guidelines for like how to how to ethically use you know, GPT and whatnot, and, and, and those types of, those types of, um, um, you know, yeah, like the, those type of chatbots and whatnot. I mean, I almost feel like it, it, it's almost, you know, very often, and I, I wasn't, I obviously wasn't at Codex, so I don't know what it was like, but I mean, I, I mean, I would assume that, 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 you know, a lot of the people that were there would probably be the ones who would be involved in some kind of regulatory effort, or, or at least be consulted, you know, as, as to like how to do this. Uh, Cause yeah, I mean, you know, you don't necessarily want to have, you know, 
50 or 51 or whatever, however many, however many bars, um, you know, come up with their own, you know, come up with their own uh, guidelines that could, you know, wildly vary from like one border to the next. I, and I mean, you know, the the idea of maybe having like having like you know like a central group come up with some like kind of model like a model rule kind of thing, and then having you know different different jurisdictions either adopt it or modify it slightly or whatnot. That might that might be the way to go. But yeah, um, yeah I mean, yeah, I would assume that a lot of people so, in that room would be the ones who would be who would, who would be doing it though. And they were in the terms of the model rules equivalent. They were there. So out of MIT, uh, well, there's a task force on responsible use of generative AI for the law. It's Jazza Greenwood and Olga Mack was there on it and Megan Ma is part of it. Um, and so it is a handful of people that they're currently, they were there talking about it. They're putting together the proposed guidelines and principles for this responsible use of this that I guess the idea is that one day these, and it's gonna be eventually open for comment and you know within the industry. And the idea is that this would have sort of the weight of a model rules, which you know, we can say how much weight do those have, but you know, so it is within this group of people, there are initiatives being thought out. I don't know. Nobody really knows where that will go or how much force it will have. But within the industry, people seem to be very much on that page. Well, I think the problem is that this technology is going to advance exponentially, like at a rate we've never seen. And we haven't been able to keep up with the rate of technological change. And by we, I mean like you know, the, the bar associations and the regulators and everything else over the last decade, you know, and that that was in and of itself sort of an exponential rate of change. But this is just going to be unlike anything we've yeah. ever seen. So by the time they yeah. come up, and I don't mean, I think that that, uh, I don't mean to demean or put down those efforts. And I think it's good that we've already convened something uh, in the legal space to kind of try to address that. But I feel like it's just kind of a hopeless effort. It, it kind of Makes reminds me of the New York State Bar's attempt to talk about, you know, issue an opinion on LinkedIn probably a decade ago and specialization. And by the time they got the opinion out, LinkedIn had removed the specialization category from profiles and it was moot, you know? So I, I think we're going to see that like on, a, you know, that same thing is going to happen here just because the rate of change is going to occur so quickly and the adoption is already occurring so quickly. And I think that um, that Thomson Reuters study was super interesting about it. And I think that the findings in that are going to be moot in two months because the rate of adoption and understanding and intake uh, and usage in firms and just by lawyers in general is going to change so quickly. I don't think from a regulatory or societal perspective that we are prepared or capable to deal with that kind of rate of change. And it's like you say, Nikki, it, it, is, it is already a huge problem. And now it's... Uh, before the ink is dry on any of these any of these rules, there'll be so many changes. So the, the best you can hope for is to have, you know, like like the reasonableness standard. It's like someone like what does that mean? You know, it's like you know, it's whatever a particular judge or jury thinks it is on a particular day. So, mm -hmm. but I, but that may be the best you can do. I don't know. Yeah, and I you definitely know. think there was a huge a valid point that was made in the comments too that. When it comes to general regulation of AI, Europe is going to be just like the GDPR. They're going to be way ahead of us on this. And the U.S. is just going to end up playing to the extent there is any regulation agreed upon. I don't think we're going to be the ones leading the charge on it. Yeah. Because when are we ever? <laughs> yeah. So I, I just wanted to. So since Joe mentioned uh, my the story I did on the uh, looking at the uh, some of the uh, legal text sources that were used uh, in training Google's large language model. I, I, I had seen the Washington Post did a really interesting 
piece this week where it kind of broke down a, a list of tracking down the, the different data sources that were used to uh, train train Google's large language model. And I it made a, it, and they included a kind of a little search box. We could go in and search for specific websites to see if they were part of part of what was uh, part of the training. And um, uh, what was interesting, I mean, it, I, uh, I immediately, of course, searched for my own blog, and, and there it was, much to my surprise. And uh, I, I, I know, uh, I know, Nikki, you're in there, and uh, uh, obviously some other Steve, you're in there as well. Uh, and the ABA Journal is in there, of course, uh, and Law.com, of course, is in there. Unfortunately, Above the Law wasn't, oddly enough. But um, <clears throat> what's it, something else that's interesting I learned, actually, after writing the article, uh, you know, the, the Washington Post article lists sort of what were the overall largest sources of data uh, in, in, uh, in training this data set. And number one is patents.google.com. So going in and looking at uh, obviously patent applications. <clears throat> but uh, uh, I had on my list, I had uh, mentioned uh, one of the one of the Justia uh, sites, Justia's collection of U.S. law, which showed up as number seventy-five of, of all the data sets, ranked seventy-five. But as, as somebody from Justia pointed out to me, uh, it's all done by subdomains. So there are actually a number of Justia uh, subdomains that were part of this training set. Uh, and if you combine all of those together uh, and uh, look at the number of tokens used from all of the Justia data sets, Justia actually becomes like the fifth most used data set uh, overall, not just of legal sites, but of all sites right after the New York Times uh, in training the Google, uh, the, uh, the Google large language model, if I have that right, and I think I do. So that's a really interesting fact, I think that this, this the site that aggregates legal information uh, is is one of the dominant uh, sites in training the Google set, and, and of course Google's own patent database being the number one. So, legal legal material, legal documents, legal uh, information uh, is is a critical part of training this data set, and maybe that speaks to how well this data set is prepared uh, to be to be used in the legal profession. What I loved about that was Tim Stanley's always, you know, his, his really drives him his access to justice. That's what he's always been all about. And it's sort of um, proof that his, you know, lifelong, you know, his passions and his goals are coming to fruition. I mean, that's, he's trying to create as much um, accessibility to all these legal documents. And now they're sort of um, becoming a huge part of this, these training databases and making the law more accessible through this generative AI in very understandable ways. So it's kind of cool to see that. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, um, Nikki, maybe this is actually a good time to talk about uh, one of the stories that you found uh, that has to do with this age old question now of whether a perennial question anyway, of whether, uh, whether our jobs are, are in danger. Well, this one just, um, really caught my eye because uh, <clears throat> it, they did a really good job of um, analyzing the issues of, you know, whether generative AI is going to be the end of jobs and of life and of, <laughs> of everything. Um, <clears throat> but it, it talked about how, and I put a link in the comments, how 
up until now, any type of technological advance really has primarily affected um, blue collar workers, not white collar. We've always been sitting pretty, especially lawyers and people that whose jobs are based on providing judgments and opinions. Um, and the thinking always was that AI would continue in that fashion until all of a sudden generative AI came out. I mean, that, I mean, certainly people had predicted this as well, but when you think of AI, you think of um, <clears throat> more like actual machines, right? Like somehow doing these manual jobs or the ability to use um, robot robotics to do surgery and stuff. Um, but generative AI has kind of flipped it on its head and it is uh, significantly uh, predicted to significantly impact all of these white collar jobs. And the article just does a really good job of um, <clears throat> doing a deep dive into um, some of the thoughts about, you know, these predictions and what do they actually mean about the nature of work. And I think that my um, favorite part was the, no, sorry, there was, I thought there was a great, uh, no, there is. I thought that there was a really good closing. <clears throat> oh yeah, this is my favorite part. I thought there was, I was, thought there was a really great closing paragraph. So it talked about, um, but it also talked about how part of, and so it looked at all these, uh, the Go um, players, you know, the top world-class Go players, and their different reactions, I sort of use this analogy throughout the article, and how their different reactions to a computer beating them, um, an AI beating them, uh, sort of impacted whether they even continue to play Go and whether they maintain popularity. And the guy who maintained the most popularity was the youngest guy who sort of started just to become funny and was constantly asked to be on um, news shows and stuff because he was interesting. And so what it kind of ended with was, it said if this trend is any indication, we should expect to see soft skills, humor, presence, personality become the game. In this light, we may already be halfway there without quite realizing it. For fact, perhaps the future belongs to the influencer, which really just turned my stomach. God forbid. I mean, I don't want to think of influencers. I'm not thinking of thought leaders. I'm thinking of like, <laughs> you know, the thing that struck me when you said that, Nikki, is, you know, as, as litigators, you know, that's sort of what we do, right? I mean, we we are influencers in a way. We're persuaders, we're storytellers and all that sort of thing. And so question, query whether, you know, and, and those are individual traits. In other words, if I want to persuade you of something, I can't act like Bob Ambrosia because I can't, I'm not him. I can only persuade you with my own kind of using my own personality. So that would suggest that, you know, maybe, Maybe us litigators have a future in the world. It's maybe we, we might still have a job, even though the, the, the jury deciding the case may be made up of robots. <laughs> well, I think that's funny. You sort of took the word influencer and flipped it upside down. But I think that the essence of that is what they were trying to say was that the influencer, meaning people that can catch attention, who can are entertaining, which you know, you sort of feel like robots aren't gonna be able to do that, or the generative AI can't really be funny. Um and but influencer also means you're influencing how people think, how they feel. And that's literally the heart of a litigator's job. So I think it's that's an interesting way to kind of flip that on its head. But it's still sort of the same concept, right? It's this idea of it's the human element of um, connecting with people and trying to make them think something, whether it's buy this, you know, hair product or convict this person and send them to jail. You know, same difference, I guess. I think one's a lot more valuable than the other at the end of, end of, end of the day, but 
that's why we all went to law school, I guess, but who knows? I thought, Vic, I thought Victor, your comment, I think it was on your podcast where the, your, your guest pointed out that, that uh, chat GPT doesn't do math very well and doesn't tell jokes very well. And I think your response was, yeah, sort of like most lawyers, right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, he just teed that one up, so I was just kind of like, all right, I gotta, I gotta slam that. So, but, um, <laughs> that was good. That was good comeback. Very quick. <laughs> but, but no, I mean, I mean, it's just like, yeah, like, 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 like Nikki says, whenever I think of influencer, it's like I immediately just kind of like get like this, you know, like this twitch in my eye and like this, you know, this this really kind of visceral reaction because yeah, I think of like you know the Kardashians or like you know something like that. But, but I guess yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like. <sighs> I guess, yeah, it, it's good to emphasize that, okay, well, these skills might be the way to go in the future, but it's just like, well, but then it gets like, like how, how, like, I mean, for lawyers, it's one thing, because, you know, I mean, you, like, like you said, with the inf with influencing juries, influencing people and whatnot, but like, I mean, with humor and whatnot, it's kind of like, well, I kind of feel like it's one of those things where it's just like, okay, either, you know, if, if you're funny, great, but if you're not, then it, and you try to force it, then it just kind of, it doesn't, it doesn't really go too well, especially with, you know, like, like, like lawyers, especially like when they're in court, they're trying to like be all folksy or try to try to like, you know, be funny and it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't land and just kind of, it, 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 it can just be very off-putting. But I guess, so I guess, you know, maybe, maybe the, um, maybe, you know, of course then, you know, maybe like, you know, 20 years, 20 years or whatnot, then the, um, the AI will, will get so good that it can actually start to mimic humor or at least come up with its, come up with some, some, you know, come up with, like, like be able to do it enough so that it, it can, it can then be, seen as being legitimately funny. So then, so then we'll have to come up with a new way of differentiating, our, differentiating ourselves, I guess. Well, and, that, and that's a good point, Victor, because I, I guess I was at, I think it was a tech show or someplace I was presenting and, you know, Kevin O'Keefe braced his hand and said, you know, is this going to take the place of writers and bloggers? And, you know, I sort of, sort of off the top of my head said, well, you know, Chat GPT will never be Ernest Hemingway, for example. That's a personalized skill. But you so, but but as I thought about it later, I said, well, yeah, you can ask Chat GPT to write you something like Ernest Hemingway and it'll do a passable job. The, the issue though is, you know, it can't do it can't write something like the next Ernest Hemingway, right? Or the, or it can't give you a piece of art like the next Picasso, because those guys broke the mold. You know, and and set on a new a new course for those particular art forms, um, and so you know, I sort of wonder, you know, if we as as people begin to use Chat GPT and other models more and more and more, is that going to discourage the next Picasso from ever happening? But anyway, that's pretty pretty philosophical first. For a guy in a flowery shirt in Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> The decent, uh, it was uh, it was the Sony, I think, photography competition where the person, the winner, turned it down because after winning, he revealed that he used AI to create the photo. Which, I mean, I didn't think it was that not obvious, but it it, it turned it, it raised a question of going forward, like should they be banned or should there just be a separate entry? Like, is AI art going to be its own art skill? Are those artists should they be in their own category? Yeah. Right. One thing that's interesting about the whole discussion of art or <clears throat> the humanity of what, you know, like what makes art so unique is it's our humanity, expressing our humanity, right? And that's what like fiction writing is. And it's the expression of humanity that we think distinguishes us from the machine or from what the machine will ever be capable of. But I, I would note that 
one thing that gets in the way of our humanity, or at least us expressing humanity for our fellow humans sometimes is in the heat of the moment, or when there's something that's particularly emotional for us, we don't always do a great job, or we feel awkward. We don't do a really good job of um, communicating with other people because we have these feelings that get in the way. And recently, there have been a couple different examples in my personal life. One was like this, um, they're, they're all just sort of strange. One was like something happened to someone that I know and I had to send condolences. Another was like this family issue where someone had to send a sensitive text to another family member. And in a bunch of different cases, I've like taken what was drafted and thrown it into ChatGPT and I'm like, fix this and focus on this and make it a little better. And it ends up writing these beautiful like condolences or like these much more tactful, heartfelt like messages that are less about like, I'm hurt or I feel awkward or <clears throat> I'm so sad for you. Like, and, and they're like beautiful, like truthfully, like it, it, it does so much better of a job than humans in that respect. And I think it's because it's drawing on this database of all these examples, probably from all these blogs and things that therapists say you should do, like when you're having difficult conversations or whatever. So that's something that's interested me lately using it in my personal life on a few different occasions. Oh, it's actually done a much better job than either me or the people around me did in their initial draft. Yeah. I'm starting to, I'm starting to see, I'm starting to see why they didn't use above the law in the training set. <laughs> yeah. You I, no. I was, I was, well, I was just thinking as you were saying that, Nick, I mean, it's, it's, it's just sort of like a greeting card, you know, or a Hallmark card that you get. It's got this beautiful message inside, but you know, when you read it, it is, it's, it's a Hallmark card. But then if you write something in your in, handwritten on the card, then that becomes generally what people remember uh, because you hand wrote it and it, they knew it came from you. Was it last week? I think that 60 Minutes did a thing on Google's large mm -hmm. language model and he, that Scott Pelley was so impressed by the humanity that it was able to demonstrate in, in one of the examples that they that they did. But uh, but Bard has got its critics at the same time, uh, and uh, Vic and there's a few of them in our in the chat here. A few yeah, of them in the chat here today. Yeah, and and uh, and there's even more than that, according to a story Victor you picked up on this week. Yeah, and actually, I, I will say the comments from the uh, the comments from our from our from our from our our, our, our viewers about Google Bard is is quite amusing, but it's actually quite diplomatic compared to what. Um, <laughs> some of Google's internal uh, <laughs> internal workers are saying about it. So one, um, so I guess yeah, there was a, um, uh, so I guess yeah, say they said that the Google Bard launch has not gone very well, and um, there some of the comments from uh, Google employees were that um, they called it uh, they said it's worse than useless. Please do not launch, uh, <laughs> which is probably not something you want to hear from, you know, your internal employees. Uh, <laughs> There were there were various other 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 things like uh, one employee asked for scuba instructions and got an answer that they said would likely result in serious injury or death. <laughs> uh, um, so you know it's it's yeah you know, so I mean it's it's kind of it's kind of amusing to watch it but it's also it's also concerning because it's kind of like well on the one hand you know you know if 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 we're giving like a I mean we're, if we're looking at other um, other types of programs and saying oh yeah these are pretty good these are pretty good and then and then a really crappy one comes along. Um, I mean, obviously, yeah, it's, it's it's their issue. But then, if people impute that same type of credibility onto a product like Bard, then that's problematic. And also, I mean, the fact that it's Google, like, it, it's kind of weird to see them get so completely 
like yeah, just just come up with such a come up with something that 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 that's so like poorly received and just like not. It, it almost seems like they're 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 kind of caught behind the eight ball and just kind of rush this out. I mean, I don't I don't I don't know. If, I mean, obviously it'll take more reporting to come to come out and whatnot. But it, it it is strange for a company that 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 has their reputation and has their um you know just their access to access to all just so much data so much data that 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 they would just get caught flat footed like this. But I guess everybody I mean like everybody has their everybody has their Apple Maps moment. I guess everybody has their um. Um, you know, there, um, um, there was a uh, Microsoft, uh, uh, what was that? Crap Zoom. Zoom. Oh, yeah. There's Zoom moments. Zoom, so yeah, yeah I, I guess, I guess, oh. I guess maybe, maybe this is theirs. Well, well, this, I, this, I don't know. I don't know. Wait, 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 uh, hold on. Wasn't, I just want to check. Wasn't Google the one where they had the crazy engineer who thought that the thing was sentient? Yeah. So we've yeah, got yeah. it's worse than useless and sentient, which is really make me wonder how what that guy's issue was. Yeah. Stephanie, wants to go first. No, but I think what you were saying, Victor, is exactly right. I mean, they've been sort of caught flat-footed and behind the eight ball this whole time, and since for the last however many months since November. And I think they're just not used to not being the tech leader in this kind of stuff. So it seems like they just scrambled and they keep making mistakes and they just, I mean, it hasn't gone right from the first, from that first demo where they didn't have the phone ready. And then their first demo of it had a hallucination in it. Like Google's just not been getting this right. And I think they, they need the pause. I think they need the pause and figure out what they're doing. Wait, wait a minute now. Let's, let's think about this because you know, the generative AI models are really the antithetical. I mean, they're, they're totally opposite of the Google, the way Google makes money, right? The Google makes money when you do a search and it pops all the things. So if you were Google, like maybe you would say, let's, let's make a shitty model and people, people will figure it's useless and they'll just go back and use Google like they always have. I mean, these guys are smart, right? <laughs> or maybe if Google trained on above the law, it wouldn't be so bad. <laughs> right. There you go. I mean, look, I, I'm still like a lot of us out there. I'm still waiting to see what Ask Jeeves comes up with their model. Uh, that's <laughs> robot Jeeves would be amazing. That's that's yeah. I think I think, I think that could work. I, I yeah. think that could work. Yeah. Or the Microsoft Paperclip. Maybe they can bring that back. Or I Clippy. really want Clippy. AI Clippy. I've been saying this for weeks. Yes. <laughs> Great yeah, minds. But, but, but it'll be songs because wasn't Microsoft the one that had like the the stalker? The stalker thing with like the um um but yeah, yeah, yeah like, like 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 yeah they did uh they had something that 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 that, that started saying all kinds of messages about like oh you should leave your leave your spouse and come with me it, so it'll be weird seeing Clippy say that it'd be like okay why are you saying this oh yeah that Microsoft, was Bing that was Bing that went yeah, off Bing. rails yeah it was Microsoft. I mean, Microsoft also had the old we've talked about this on the show before they had the Tay AI thing a few years ago that it was red pill then out of existence almost immediately oh my gosh uh, yeah. yeah no it's uh yeah no alta vista that's the answer it's coming back alta vista. um all right well uh bef before we uh, i mean we may never get off of ai i guess but we do had we did have at least one more story this week on ai maybe more i'm getting behind on my list here but joe you had a story on how law schools are responding to this yeah, and I didn't really have a story. Oh, that's I, right. You I, didn't I borrowed, have a story. Yeah, you just picked up a borrowed, link of a story. I did. That, well, because I, I give you an A for effort. That's good. Right. Well, in this instance, in this instance, I, I just don't didn't cover this 
particular story. And when I saw it, I was like, great. Uh, Karen Sloan over at Reuters had this story about uh, Berkeley Law School has issued its initial AI policy for using generative AI on exams. Uh, and the policy more or less boils down to not being a policy at all. I mean, depending on how you feel about honor codes, I suppose. Uh, it's just like, hey, you shouldn't use this to, you know, plagiarize stuff. And they're allowing it to be used for spelling and, you know, uh, grammar issues, uh, but nothing that would seem like it's plagiarism as defined as presenting the someone else's framing of an issue as though it's yours, which struck me as an issue in a legal exam setting, since so much of an issue spotter exam is saying, and then there's this case which says XYZ, uh, and it applies to this issue. I, I feel like that that already is you framing it the way somebody else did. So I don't know how it's supposed to prevent that. Uh, I don't know how if you asked it to correctly identify a case and it sent out a summary, it would be the sort of thing that you could appreciably rewrite in a different way. Uh, so I don't, I kind of read it and, and chuckled. I didn't think it was a particularly robust policy. Uh, and I thought in some ways it might even be counterproductive, but they're trying at least. Yeah. I mean, with any of those sort of attempts to enforce not using it, I you never, I mean, it started with public schools and how do you really I mean, how do you enforce any of those policies? Like you said, honor code, but yeah, I mean, what are people telling yeah. on each other and how do you prove it? And yeah, I don't, I mean, it's one of those things where the cat's out of the box. I don't know. I don't know well, the answer. The weird, about, the weird thing about finals, I guess, is like, I mean, I guess, I guess what this would really, this would really only impact like take-home exams, right? Because if, yeah. you're, because like if you're, if you're in, if you're in the, the classroom, you know, doing the even even because I mean I like I think I think we 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 use laptops for um for our exams when I was in law school, but like it had it had a thing that that would lock you out from being able to access anything else while you were um while you were while you were in the exam, so you couldn't surf the net or do anything like that, um or or, or access like any other programs or whatnot. So I assume it'd be something like that too, but but yeah, I mean it's just like like I guess what they're hoping for is that, I mean most honor codes, I mean I don't know I don't know what Berkeley's honor code is uh, is it was his birthday yeah. I don't know what their honor code is, but I would assume that you know they probably have a zero tolerance thing, so that if you if you get caught, you you get you get you get kicked out. So it's kind of like I mean, it's kind of okay. Look, if you're already paying that much money to be there, and you know you're already you know however many credits from graduation, it's like are you really going to risk getting 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 expelled for just because you know you you think you think ChatGPT is gonna is gonna do something just a little bit better than you and maybe boost your grade a little bit? I don't know. I guess maybe some people would, but you know it's 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 a big it's a big. It's a big. I, I I think it's a pretty big deterrent. But then again, you know, if people feel like you know they can get away with it, it's not gonna it's not gonna make a difference. Then it's know. also the opposite issue: innocent until proven guilty. Like, what if someone didn't use it and they get accused of it? And then how do they disprove? How do they prove they didn't use it? Well, the you know? proving well, is that, the thing, either using or not using, because there are tools that try to detect AI generated content, but none of them are foolproof. I mean, what well, you just well, say? Well, no, you're wrong. So well, and that gets wrote, to kind somebody, of go ahead, Joe. I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say, and that gets to my my point about how an issue spotter exam is a lot of saying, you know, then this and it and it apply and this case applies where the judge said X Y Z. It's so formulaic the words that you're going to use that however you phrase it is going to look 
pretty much like what a non-hallucinating, let's for the sake arguendo assume that it's not going to hallucinate. It's going to look a lot like what a non-hallucinating GPT says, which weighs both directions, both you probably can get away with it or it's not worth it. But either way, it makes it really difficult to try and figure out whether somebody did it or not. Somebody somebody had wrote a little article this week that I read that and it was postulating that we should go back to oral or go go to oral exams. Uh, and I, I can imagine several law professors had heart attacks thinking, I got 60 students, I'm going to have to. T- <laughs> I, w- I was sure you were. I was sure you were going to say blue books, and I was ready for that. But your oral exams now, I'm, I'm, I'm out. I know. I mean, we all survived blue books. Maybe not Victor, apparently, yeah. but we all survived the blue no, book era. no, 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 no. We had, we had, we had them. We had them too. It was just, it was just, it was just the laptop thing was like, like an optional thing. And for me, it was strongly encouraged because my handwriting is terrible. So, um, you know. Well, and if we all yeah. back, uh, I, like, I, 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 go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, if we if we transition to like oral exams, I think there's a lot of unfairness there because some people, you know, sell at oration and others are horrible at it and others, it causes them a lot of anxiety. And I think that that's not going to solve the problem either. I think that's not. Yeah, well, and uh, and that's that's an interesting that's an interesting point, because like right now we we test people using written exams, whether it be in law school or bar exam. And yet there are a lot of people who make very, very good lawyers because they are very articulate from orally and not so good writers. And so, yeah. So, you know, what are we trying and vice to versa. particularly? Yeah. Particularly right? on the bar exam. You know, what are we trying to figure out really? Which I guess when you get right down to it is maybe a good reason why we really don't shouldn't have bar exams to begin with. Well, that's what I was going to say. Doesn't this all get back to the bigger argument that law school and the bar exam actually have no correlation to being a good lawyer? That's exactly what I was thinking as I've been listening to this conversation. It's like if, 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 you know, if it can pass the bar exam and if law schools are afraid that, that AI can, you know, give students an unfair exam, unfair advantage on, on written exams, uh, then that doesn't that seem to say something about, Maybe we're not teaching the right skills, uh, and maybe law school should be should be teaching different kinds of skills that are going to enhance that humanity aspect of being a lawyer, and and, and not the more rote aspects of, of being a lawyer, uh, like like storytelling. Like if only lawyers could were better at storytelling. And uh, <laughs> Steve, I you. You've been talking about storytelling, but you've got a story this week about uh, it. Yeah, well, I uh, <laughs> around this time every year, I'm a part of a uh, on a faculty that is just, it's designed to teach trial lawyers how to better use technology in the courtroom or in persuasion. It is it's a small workshop. We have maybe twenty to twenty five people, and we spend the first part of the workshop demonstrating and letting them work with technology. And then we ask each of them to get stand up and give an opening statement or closing statement using some of the tools that we've given them. Um, and and it, we typically have one fact pattern. So everybody's sort of sort of doing the same thing. And it's, one remarkable thing, as I was thinking as we were talking about this, is even though all these good lawyers have the same fact pattern, the way they tell the story about that background is almost completely unique for each and every one of them, uh, which would sort of suggest that, you know, 
there's no right what no no single way or correct way to tell a story and so how could a generative ai model tell a story in the same unique fashion but in any event the point of my my article this week was that before we begin all that we try to stress to the students um, that you have to you have to think about your story first you don't think about the technology first. You think about the story first and then work backward and plug the technology in that that will enhance the story that you have created, you are trying to tell. And the example I always give, and it's probably a little shows my, my age, is is the is the animated movie Toy Story, right? Now that was a great at the time was a great technological achievement, but Nobody talks about Toy Story as a technological achievement anymore. It's it's a great story, right? I mean, that, that's why that that has lasted and, and resonated with people and stays in your head, not because it was cool and cute and boy, look at look what those graphic guys did with the computer and blah, blah, blah. No, it's it's the story. And so that is the kind of thing that we try to stress to them. That and being able to operate the technology in the courtroom bore by themselves and less depending on somebody. So, you know, create your story, understand the technology, and then start to use it, which is kind of the focus of where we go with this. But uh, so that is my toy story story for the week. <laughs> I love it. Perfect. It's great. Perfect. <laughs> um, one of the one of the story I was going to touch on that I wrote about this week is uh, I know Josh Josh Lennon is here in the audience. Last week we talked about Nikki talked about um, uh, my case's uh, recent benchmark report on on lawyer productivity that came out by looking at data uh, from my case users uh, and uh, coming up with some conclusions, including about utilization rates for lawyers. This week, Clio came out with its um, legal trends report for for solo law firms josh josh did a program earlier this week as part of a solo uh conference that that clio organized online uh and josh did a really good job presenting it uh i i wrote a little bit about it but i thought it was really interesting for the for the contrasts because um you know i i I think I think legal professional, a lot of legal professionals, a lot of legal professionals sort of fantasize about being a solo lawyer because they think about the independence and the freedom. Uh, and I think there are a lot of other lawyers out there who who are living, you know, who would be greatly afraid to be a solo lawyer. They like their big firm life or or medium firm life. Um, but uh, solo does have a lot of advantages, and 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 freedom and control over your own career is is probably up there top of the list but uh, the report really kind of um, uh, highlighted a lot of the a lot of the differences uh, between them uh, you know like like pointing out that solos you know should be and in fact are kind of well situated to prioritize work-life balance uh, and yet they are much more likely than any other lawyers to be working nights and weekends it looks like um, and uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, uh, the, uh, their hourly rates tend to be 20% lawyer, lower overall than, than those of, of other lawyers. Uh, and, uh, in terms of their, uh, um, 
their billing rates, uh, you know, even though Solo's hourly rates are actually going up, uh, they bill fewer hours a day than any other lawyer. And this, I think that the numbers were a little bit uh, cons inconsistent with, with what uh, Mickey's report found, uh, but I think overall there's, they, they, they comport with each other, but the, Sol the uh, Cleo report found the solos are billing just two hours a day uh, at a, for a utilization rate that's 11% lower than the non-solos. So, um, uh, you know, it's 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 a good thing to be a solo, and it's a struggle in a lot of ways to be a solo. There's a lot a lot of good data in in the uh, in the report, and I encourage you to go take a look at it if you're interested. And uh, Josh Lennon can tell us if I don't know what the slides he gave uh, are available somewhere, but uh, um, he did a really good presentation on it, summarizing some of the key findings as well. Uh, let's see, where are we? The only other thing, oh, oh, Nikki, you had that. I'm, I totally missed your other story on the list today. Did you want to talk quickly about the emojis? Yeah. That one jumped out at me today when I uh, this week when I was just going through my newsfeed. Um, <clears throat> and in the context of what we're talking about today, essentially, it was a uh, uh, it was an issue dealing with whether emojis could be banned by prisoners in their correspondence. Um, but <clears throat> before I dive into what really struck me is, if we're still having a hard time regulating emojis, I don't know what makes us think we're gonna be able to regulate AI. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but this, it essentially, um, let me see, I'll pop it into the chat. I think that I have it already. Yeah, um, it was essentially a prison, it was um, uh, the, the gist of the motion, it was in a jurisdiction in which I don't practice, but was <clears throat> the prisoner had to get over an initial hump to make the argument, you know, initial uh, level of scrutiny. And so what the prisoner was um, alleging was in part that there was an emoji ban by the um, prison uh, for prisoner correspondence. And the prisoner had included a heart at the tail end of two different um, uh, emails that he sent his father. Then there was another one that just apparently got indiscriminately banned for no apparent reason. So it wasn't just about emojis. And it was just this initial level of scrutiny to see if he had a claim that could continue to be litigated. Um, and the court applied a pretty, what appeared to be uh, not a super strict standard and said that, yeah, there's definitely some, some claims here. And then I thought more of it was, and that was from the actual case. I thought Eric Goldman's commentary on it was um, more interesting and hopefully the court will address those specific issues of whether, and so essentially the, it was, it was whether there was a First Amendment right to um, his First Amendment rights were being trampled on. Um, but what Eric said was that, you know, uh, should there be an emoji ban and how, because they, the fear is, you know, they can use certain emojis as gang symbols or as some sort of other type of surreptitious communication, like, I don't know, bring me drugs, I have no idea. But, you know, stuff they're not supposed to be talking about, but they're using emojis to represent those ideas instead. And what Eric said in his post, which I think is 100% correct, they can just have code words. I mean, th this is what like, it's just so ridiculous. It's like when people didn't like, everyone always has these knee-jerk reactions to tech in all these different contexts, um, including like ChatGPT for studying or, or for writing papers. You know, we've used 
Cliff Notes. And then after that, it was Wikipedia. Kids have always used this stuff. People have always found code words to communicate so that the cops don't find out or the, the prisoners or what uh, the wardens or whatever the case may be. So I think it's just tech, having a knee-jerk reaction to tech and being unreasonable. And I hope the court actually addresses that because I think it's an interesting issue. But. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, I like that. If if we can't regulate emojis, what are we doing? What are we doing with AI? Yeah. Well, on the AI front, have any of you? I didn't put this on the thing, but have any of you gone down the rabbit hole of generative agents yet? No. Oh, that, that can be next. Oh, is this week. the is this the GPT auto GPT? Yeah, where they put yeah. them in like the Sims like sandbox, and they gave. I've been down that just they... like you because we are both way into this ChatGPT thing. But yeah, it's super interesting. Oh no, I mean that's going to be the next. I like, can. The, will there be generative agents for legal? That I mean, nobody will say that yet. Or I mean, if they're working on them, it's way too soon. But it's this whole fascinating research paper where they created a Sims like, you know, sandbox of people gave them personalities. Like you're a shop owner with a family. You're throwing a Valentine's Day party. And sent them out and they did things like they brushed their teeth and they went to school and the person they ended up meeting each other unprompted and like going on dates and throwing writing invitations and just acting like humans just learning how to be humans from the internet right, right. this is nikki's uh, life is all a simulation the argument again <laughs> we just yeah, got I'll come back to that there's a reason we always end up back there yeah See, like see, but here, we're suddenly coming alive. We're starting to see reality see, the way it is. But, but we know that's not true because I exist and it didn't train on above the law. So we know it, it, it we aren't in a simulation now. No, maybe you're one of those, what are they, GPC? What do they call those characters that aren't real characters? Oh, it, An um, NPC, yeah. NPC, yeah, yeah you're just one of those. You think you exist. Still got to train. They still got to train. <laughs> you're just free guy. You're fine. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, um, seems like I think there's already a, a bunch of news. Uh, looks like it's going to be coming out next week, and then we're going to start to get into. Are, are any of you guys going to clock? Any, any clock people? I have. Uh, a, we're going to start. I normally, yeah. Yeah. Normal, yeah. I normally would. Yeah. I normally. I normally would, but our our yeah. ABA I, meeting is the same yeah. week, so I'm out. All right. Isha is it's going, the, Bob, so you can hang out with her and have her on your show. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm actually not going either. Oh. I, I don't think I'm, I'm still a little on the fence about it, but I don't think I'm going to that. But uh, I wish I wish I could. Uh, but it starts the day after my baby's due date. And some oh, people right. seem to think that's a problem. Uh, I don't know. I feel like I can <laughs> handle it all. But oh, God, <laughs> that's what happened to me with the Rolling Stones concert. My son had the. Yeah, that's about right. right before. Yeah, clock. Rolling, Rolling Stones, Stones clock. Pretty, yeah. 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 <laughs> that just shows how much cooler Bob is than Joe. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it was just it's that so I had these great the, tickets the, and I had a limo lined up and you, everything you, you, else. You, you and then my them. wife decided to go to the hospital in labor and it's like blew everything. The Stones still touring. You can see, you can see them probably next year. Yeah. This is when they were a little younger. All right. Well, We'll find out uh, um, what happens next week, next Friday. We'll be back to talk about it all. So I hope you all have a great week. And Joe, have a great birthday celebration. Happy birthday, Joe. Thanks all. Yep. Happy birthday. Bye.